welcome to Banking on KC. I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. As we continue talking with Kansas City women leaders during Women's History Month, we're happy to welcome Valerie Nicholson Watson, the CEO of Harvesters, where she's helping to change the lives of families and seniors who are served by the Community Food Network. Welcome, Valerie. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you for having me. You've held several positions within Harvesters. You've been a board member, you've been the director of community services, and now for about a decade, you've been the CEO. How did holding all those different positions within the same organization widen your perspective or your vision even of what Harvesters could achieve? I think for the most part, it helped me to better understand exactly where the founders of Harvesters were coming from. And it really instilled in me a sense of responsibility to take what they created, never lose sight of the spirit that went into the founding of this organization, but to continuously build upon what they started. And so, you know, you think about seeing a community where there is hunger or food insecurity, and also knowing that perfectly good food, aside from maybe some some marketing mishaps or some overproduction, perfectly good food is going to waste. And you focus in on, let's stop that food from going to waste, and let's get it into the hands of people who can use it. And so standing up those relationships with manufacturers and retail and starting an actual network that is capable of distributing the food throughout 26 counties in Northwest Missouri and Northeast Kansas was so important. But then as time goes on, I think it was the responsibility of those of us who followed the founders to take what they started and apply the lessons learned and the knowledge that we've obtained since they started. So it's not just getting good food to where it's needed most. Now it is just getting good food to where it's needed most and making sure that it has nutritional value, making sure that we have variety making sure that it is culturally appropriate. And so I think that is what having those different positions throughout the organization helped me to realize. And it really just instilled in me that if our founders were still here, what would their expectations be? And I think myself and my predecessors have lived up to those expectations because they would expect us to take this organization to the next level of effectiveness and of efficiency. And that's what we continually do, always keeping the people that we serve at the forefront. You'd mentioned the geographic area served, but tell us a little bit about how old the organization is, the amount of food that you're now distributing, and a little bit about that network that you mentioned, how it works. Harvesters was founded in 1979 and pretty much at the start of this whole food bank phenomena that we have in this country. We serve 26 counties, 16 in Kansas, 
and 10 in Missouri, headquartered in Missouri. We also have a satellite distribution center in Topeka, Kansas. And I think one of the unique things about harvesters, in addition to serving two states, we also serve urban, rural, and suburban areas. And each has their unique challenges. And so that's probably one of the most challenging things about the work that we do, because every community is different and communities need or want different things. And so really trying to know who you are serving and to be respectful. It's not, you know, if you're hungry, you'll accept anything. It's not that kind of attitude because you want to always allow people to maintain their dignity and you want to be respectful of people. We're not the great saviors. We want to work with people. People know what they need. And so we want to work with the people that we serve so that we can best serve them. And so that's what we're always striving for. What drew you to the issue of hunger relief, Valerie? You know, that is such an interesting question. So back at the turn of the century, so it was actually 1999, I was really at a point in my career and and even in my life where I felt like I really wasn't making the kind of impact that I wanted to make as it relates to my career. I mean, things were going well. And as a part of the job that I held then, I managed a regional foundation. And through that foundation, I got to know and interact with a lot of different nonprofits and just kind of fell in love with the idea of what they do. And around that same time, I saw an ad for harvesters. And I was, I was familiar with harvesters. Uh, my kids had volunteered at harvesters. And it's kind of uncanny because the story of my life has been, I see an ad for a position. And when I read it, I say to myself, I could not have written this better for me. It spoke to me. And so I applied for that position and wound up getting the job. And that was my first job at Harvesters. And it really was the director of community services. And the easiest way to explain it was that it was everything except running the warehouse, HR, and fund development. So it was volunteers, it was the programming, it was the marketing, it was the media, it was the agency services. So it was really the nuts and bolts of the outward facing aspects of the operation. You've been a leader in the nonprofit community really throughout your adult life. You've been involved in so many different kinds of non-for-profit work and community work. Tell us about some of that and some of the other ways that you've exercised your leadership to help solve community issues and to create opportunity for others. That's an interesting question, and it's really one that I have to give a lot of thought to, believe it or not, because a lot of things that I do are just intrinsic to my nature, and I just do them. And so I don't think about them per se. I think I've always been a bit of a mentor. If you're on my staff and you're reporting to me, much of what I do is mentor, you know, trying to develop people 
and empower people in their positions to give them confidence. You know, there's a saying that I like, let your faith be stronger than your fear. And so it's really just trying to help people accomplish that. You know, I I volunteered at schools as a tutor. I serve on the uh, Du Bois Learning Center board. Again, it's tutoring children. I think education is so important. And we know that if children struggle in school, they are more likely not to finish school or to seek higher education. And, you know, for me, education was key, but it was about the only thing I was good at. You know, I, I wasn't athletic. I didn't sing. I, and reading in particular. Uh, and I think that reading is just so important. So much of what I've done really has centered around how can we make sure that, that our children can read and that they enjoy reading, right? Working at the Niles Home for Children was such an honor for me because it it was such a historical organization in the Black community. And I've always been very community focused. And I am that way because of the community that raised me. You know, I come from a community in St. Louis where the people who lived in that community became lifelong friends and really more like family. And those bonds exist to this day. And so when you grow up like that, you have a sense of community. And so you just try to do what it takes. You, you do things because you can, and you do positive things because you can. You do what you know. So in terms of, you know, volunteering at schools, I'm a member of the Lynx Incorporated. So we do a lot of volunteer work throughout the community and through several different facets. You know, one of the things that I really enjoyed doing through that organization and and really was interrupted because of COVID, but providing self-esteem and menstrual health classes to elementary school girls. I am the mother of sons and the grandmother of grandsons. And and so just even having the opportunity to stay connected to young girls and to show them that to get the things in life that they want, they have to have the knowledge and the strength to understand when things are not in their best interest and make those decisions that are in their best interest. And so a lot of my volunteer work has really always had that at its core. Stand up, be yourself, understand that the decisions you make are important. Not that you'll never make bad decisions, we all do. I love mentoring. I love mentoring young CEOs because they are so fresh and they certainly are committed to what they want to do. But so much of the job, particularly, these are primarily uh, young people who head nonprofits. It's a, it's a new world for them. You know, reporting to a board, having, you know, total responsibility for an organization. It, it can be overwhelming. It can consume you. And so having been there, having been overwhelmed, having been consumed. It's like, how do you minimize that? It strikes me as you're talking, Valerie, that you not only mentor, but you model 
you're a role model. You model behavior that people can point to. I mean, just the comment that you just made about being overwhelmed with the new responsibilities of leading a nonprofit for some of the people you mentor, it's not only what you say to them and counsel them on, but then they look at you and they see that you've done it. So you're actually modeling it too. And once upon a time, it was all new to me. But it didn't stop you. It did not stop me. Sometimes it almost broke me, but it did not stop me. And I think that every challenge that I was able to overcome only prepared me for bigger challenges. And so I've always seen every step I take as a development opportunity. And that's how I approach the folks that I mentor. You know, we're not going to always get it right. But when you get it wrong, you are likely better at what you do before you made that mistake. It's character building, but it also provides a level of wisdom that you didn't have before the incident. Right. That whole school of hard knocks, it's very powerful. So how do you lead change? What's your approach to that? I will say that leading change is one of the most satisfying, but at the same time, one of the most difficult things that you really have to do. I think the most important thing is to help people understand why change is necessary. I often say that we could all jump on a horse and ride to work, but I prefer to jump in my car. And that's a great example of change. When you have more, when you know more, you put that to use. And it means that you have to change in order to make things happen. And for me, I recognize, and and these are the things that I share, when I am no longer open to change, I'm done. Because it means I've become static in a very dynamic world. And, you know, change means that you are better utilizing your knowledge, your wisdom, your resources, your technology in particular, to make things better. And you know, I, I can remember being at a training long ago, and there's always, you know, when I do training, I might not remember every single thing that I was taught, but there's always comments that are made that I remember. And one that sticks out to me is the comment that if the people won't change, then change the people. I'll work with you on skill. But when you just refuse to do what is necessary, then you're in the wrong place. Some of our listeners may not know that you also worked as a journalist. You were with the Kansas City Globe and you were with the Kansas City Call. How has your background in communications and reporting influenced your leadership style? That is so interesting. So I graduated from Mizzou with a journalism degree. And again, that fell back to my love of reading and writing. And I never imagined myself being a journalist, but I did want to write. And I moved to Kansas City and was hired by Miss Lucille Bluford at the Kansas City Call. And probably she was one of the most important mentors that I have ever had because I learned so much from her. And I can remember a time when I was doing an interview and she was listening in. And at the end of the interview, she said, Valerie, you're too timid. And that was kind of eye-opening for me because it was a whole new arena that I was operating in. And so I knew that I had to build my courage and my confidence. And she helped me to do that. 
so much. And so she certainly influenced my leadership style because she was very good at constructive criticism and then helping you to make yourself stronger in that area. Yeah, she's such an icon and helps so many people. You know, absolutely. I think we just had a love affair, right? Because I loved her so much and she was so good to me. She reminded me of my grandmother, her strength, her wisdom, her dedication. And so that just drew me to her. And then she was just so welcoming to me. I can remember, you know, my early days there. She'd taken me around town and just introducing me to people. And, you know, her introductions really made people open to me. You know, and I was in my very early 20s in a new city, you know, where really the world was starting to open up to me. And she was so important. And then when I moved on to the Globe, the Globe was so progressive. And I can remember the editor, he would come up with these ideas, right? And I would be like, I don't know about that. That just seems so far-fetched. And then he would make it happen. And that brings me to that Mandela quote, it always seems impossible until it happens. But that also made me recognize that Sometimes when you hear an idea, you are limited in your thinking or in your insight sometimes that you don't get it, but that's your own limitation. It doesn't mean that it's what you've heard is not a good idea. And so that made me really search for insight, particularly when I didn't understand something or if I didn't get it. And so In my leadership style, I try to provide insight, insight into why a certain decision was made or why we're doing things a certain way. You know, not that I'm prepared to explain every decision that I make, but I think there are some decisions that if you provide insight to help people see what you see, then you get greater buy-in and they're not sitting on the sidelines saying, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Sure. And sometimes it's just a matter of they don't have all the information that you do. Exactly. Exactly. Or or the experience, right? Or the vision. And I think for me at that point, it was all three. Lack of experience, lack of vision, lack of insight and knowledge. For our next generation of female leaders, what message would you leave them about using their influence and creating impact? So I think, and this is for female leaders in particular, and especially female leaders of color. Because when you are a part of society and you want to fit in, that's great. We all want to fit in, so to speak. But we don't want someone else dictating who and what we are. And so just really staying true to your inner self Because when you remain true to your inner self, your true intentions, your true spirit is what people see. And so if you want to influence others, they have to have a sense of comfort with you, a sense of trust. You have to be credible in their eyes. And the best way to do that 
is to be yourself. I think in terms of creating impact, you have to want to be impactful. That is what brought me to nonprofit. I had to work for a living, but I wanted to be a difference maker. And a difference maker in the way that I knew how, in the way that I had experienced. And that is, how can you make life easier, better, more fulfilling for other people? And I think that the the work that I've done has helped me to do that. And so in terms of using your influence, it's interesting. I am a huge proponent, huge, huge, huge. It's my authentic self. You treat people with dignity and respect. That There's nothing that's more important, honestly, and with dignity and respect. And I think that you're able to influence people in issues when you do that. You bring your authentic self to the table. Sometimes you have to take your power, so to speak. You can't be timid. A powerful lesson that I learned, you have to take your power. It's not going to be given to you. And and when I say that, it means you have to speak up. You have to stand on your principles. You have to collaborate, but you have to have voice and you have to make sure that your voice is heard. But you also have to listen because you're likely never the smartest person in the room and no one knows everything. And so it's just a matter of, of how you approach it. Use your influence for good. You know, you want to make things better. And I think that if you just set out as a leader to say, I want to leave everything I touch better than it was when I got there. But you also want to respect the foundation because, you know, I've never started a nonprofit. I've never started anything really, right? I've come into things that already existed. And so I have to respect what others built and I have to take it to the next level. And I don't know because I've never been at the start, right? But it is hard. It, it, It can be difficult. But if you want to really create impact, you have to know what is needed and then provide what is needed. I never think about being a leader or influence or creating impact. I just follow my heart. I follow my intellect. If I'm going to do it, I want to do it right. And, you know, the chips fall where they may. Valerie, the Kansas City Globe named you as one of the 100 most influential African-Americans in greater Kansas City. You have received Lifetime Achievement Awards, Outstanding Community Services Awards, and just many, many other awards and accolades. So you've received a lot of recognition for what others see as your accomplishments. But what do you personally, as Valerie Nicholson Watson, what do you see as being your greatest accomplishment? I think my greatest accomplishment is the fact that I have remained true to my principles. I have remained true to the people who have poured so much into me. This is a really tough and emotional question for me to answer. And I, I go back to, again to that community and that magical house of ours on Newstead in St. Louis, right? It was truly that village. It was that village. And I think about 
my grandmother's generation. Of course, they're all gone now, but they poured so much into me. I think about my mother's generation and they poured so much into me. Everyone pouring something different, but showing me that I matter, showing me that I was important to them and sharing the knowledge and the wisdom that they had. And I never take that for granted. I use that as my model. And, you know, I've often said, if I can be half the grandmother my grandmother was to me, I've succeeded in that grandmotherhood thing. And so I think that is my greatest accomplishment. I've stayed true to my foundation. You know, that doesn't mean that I haven't changed. I haven't evolved. I haven't grown. I've done all of that. But at the core is that very principled foundation that I was raised on. And I think that's my greatest accomplishment because I've not contorted myself to be anything else. Valerie, you're going to be retiring in a few months. Hopefully that's going to leave you more of that grandmother time. What are your plans for the future? You know, someone told me that you don't retire from something, you retire to something. And to be perfectly honest, I want to write more. I talk about my grandmother, her older sister, and their best friend, right? Those were my best friends growing up. And I always say they are the most extraordinary, ordinary people I've ever met. And I just want to chronicle and document them and how they impacted me. And so I want to do some writing. I certainly want to spend more time with my family. But I don't have like a master plan. You know, you know in your heart, um, you know, I, I love harvesters, love harvesters. I think I've done a great job. But you know in your heart when it's time to let someone else take the lead. And I know it's time to let someone else take the lead. I know that I need some rest. I know that I want to spend more time with my family, most of whom are in St. Louis. My mother's there. She just turned 92 years old, healthy. We had a a health scare last year, and that just kind of, it impacted me so profoundly that I know I want to make her a priority. And what happens after that, I don't know. I'm not one to be idle for too long. I was going to say, I don't think you'll be letting too much grass grow under your feet. Valerie, we're just so grateful and so honored that you took the time to be with us on this episode of Banking on KC. Thank you so much for all that you have done for our community, not just in serving the community itself, but in raising up the next generation of leaders through the mentoring that you've done. Uh, You certainly have made an impact and we appreciate everything that you have done. Kelly, thank you for having me. And, And the one thing I would say is that the work that I've done and the institutions that this community have trusted to me, it has been an honor. This is Christy Heiberger, Chief Risk Officer of Country Club Bank. Thank you to Valerie Nicholson-Watson for being our guest on this episode of Banking on KC as we highlight local female leaders during Women's History Month. Being community-focused is an intrinsic part of who Valerie is. Largely, she says, because of the community that raised her, that she says poured so much into her. The people who lived in that community, who mentored her and empowered her, became her lifelong friends. She has dedicated her career to being a difference maker, someone who makes life easier, better, 
and more fulfilling for others. Making the community a better place to live is a value deeply ingrained in Country Club Bank's DNA too. We are first and foremost a family-owned community bank invested in the growth and success of the Kansas City community. We are grateful to be working alongside dedicated community leaders like Valerie, and we share her desire to leave everything I touch better than it was before I got there. Thanks for tuning in this week. We're banking on you, Kansas City. Country Club Bank, member FDIC.